Hi, everyone, and welcome to the AGCS Podcast. I'm Ken Reichman. If you think the world is becoming more turbulent and disruptive, well, you're right. Civil unrest has doubled in the past decade as protests ranging from economic hardship to police brutality ravage cities around the world, and the COVID-19 pandemic is making things worse. What's behind the sharp rise in both violent and nonviolent demonstrations over the past decade? How does insurance affect businesses that are both caught in the fray of protests or just at the fringe? And what do companies need to know about business continuity planning? A recent article in Allianz's Global Risk Dialogue, otherwise known as the GRD, reviews these questions and more. To help us understand if more unrest is on the rise and what you can do to protect your assets, we're joined today by the head of Crisis Management, Regional Unit London, Sergeant Todorovich. According to the Global Risk Dialogue article, the number of nonviolent and violent demonstrations have risen sharply in the last decade. In, for example, riots have increased almost threefold since 2010. Surgeon, what is driving this spectacular growth? Yeah, that's a good observation, and it's something that the underwriters have really picked up on in the time that I've been um, underwriting for Allianz and, and uh, even before that. There is no one answer on this, unfortunately, again, and it seems that there are um, numerous um, numerous things that are causing the demonstrations, and whether they're violent or non-violent across the world. And I think you'd have to go uh, deeper into each one of them to, to realise what, what the root causes are. Now, there could be political, economic, um, ethnic, or societal, or a combination of factors um, which are listed there. And there could also be long-term issues or short-term trigger factors, um, which, which lead to a demonstration. Now, what has been noted certainly by me in the last 10 years, but maybe more so in the last five or six, is the willingness of people to hit the streets and demonstrate physically, not just over the internet, not just through their um, local representatives, political representatives, people are actually willing to hit the streets and protest for something that they feel passionate about. And there could be a lot of reasons for this, again, depending on, on which demonstration you look at. Uh, but one of the things that's driving a lot of this is disillusion with the political system and the political, um, I suppose you can call them elite in a lot of the countries. And what you have seen across the across the world, including the US, is the push towards populism, and I can name you a list of countries that have element of populism in their in their government or populists in their government. Um, I would classify, for example, the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, as a populist president. Yes, he represented a Republican Party, but actually you could really see that he pushed boundaries of the uh, standard a political establishment and the language that, uh, you know, in the country, obviously, that he's in. But you can also look towards Brazil um, and numerous other countries to, to see this level of populism um, increasing. And, and as a result, whether it's counter-protest to this or protest in support of this, you're seeing people hitting the streets. For example, in the UK, it's a very relevant topic. You can see that um, it's gone through Brexit process. But there are huge splits in the country uh, still even still even after the process is is completed um supporting or obviously protesting against this and i think this will continue referring back to that same grd article it mentions that more than 70 countries are expected to see an increase in protests over the next two years 
you know, isn't COVID-19 coming to an end? What's going to affect that increase and what can insurance do to mitigate it? Well, sometimes the force driving the, the, the issues is the government itself and the, the way governments have acted on certain issues. So if you compare the COVID issue, which you mentioned, there are, it's, it's public, you know, if you just follow the press, you do realize that some governments, particularly presidents of certain countries have, or prime ministers have, have dealt with the situation in a very bad way. And this has caused a lot of um, a lot of deaths in a particular country. Um, alternatively, some countries have also dealt with uh, situations incredibly well, and they've been proactive, and they've almost eradicated uh, COVID uh, entirely from their from their country. So this will naturally have an impact in in the um, in you know what's to come after or towards the end of COVID. I think what's important to also note is that COVID has almost put a pause on other issues which countries face. So you could talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. It, although it's, it's, it's in the press, um, there are small case protests, there are, there are court cases going through at various stages in, in the US courts, as well as in other countries, by the way. You will see that maybe after the COVID restrictions are lifted, in, in, you know, say in the UK, you may see more demonstrations um, off the back of this. And you, you can also look to a country like Chile, which has numerous issues, some long-term, some short-term, some economic, some um, societal, and some even ethnic in that country. You will, you will find that there's almost been a, a pause in the demonstrations and the protests um, because of the current situation that we're in. Now, when this is relaxed, we not only have those issues which are going to come up, back up again, but we also see potential COVID protests in many countries that, that we deal with. So I think that's something that we've got to factor in as underwriters. And equally, businesses have to factor that in because I, I think the situation will get worse before it gets better. And for that, from what I mean by that is that I think the situation from uh, uh, strikes rights and civil commotion perspective will get worse. Um, the COVID situation naturally will, will get better as the, the vaccines are rolled out across the world. Now, you asked me what can insurance do to, to help this? Well, I think we, we can't deal with the underlying issues, obviously. That's down to governments and policy in those, in those countries. What we can do is to protect businesses against the, the eventuality, I suppose, of these things happening. So that could be um, whether we uh, insure them against the events or we use our consultants and our knowledge to guide them in the, in the purchasing of, um, of specific covers that are relevant to them in, in, in some jurisdictions. So you may have an, you, you know, you may have a, a worldwide schedule of locations, say if you're a, a, a global retail outlet, but you may also just be concerned with a couple of countries. Well, that's something that insurance can provide. It doesn't have to be a, a one-glove-fits-all, one-size-fits-all policy across, across the world uh, for a particular client. There could be specific policies for countries, and I think that's important that the stress is is that insurance, whether it's insurance underwriters or brokers, have a role to play in, in guiding the client towards the right source of car um, in, um, you know, in, you know, to match their needs and their, and their exposures. 
Surgeon, can you explain how businesses maybe not in the direct path of civil unrest can still suffer financial loss? And how can businesses know what is and what isn't covered? So there could be businesses that are not physically impacted by by riot, civil commotion. But because the riot of civil commotion is in the locality, the police or the civil authorities have closed off a certain area. Now that could lead to a loss of income, loss of revenue for those businesses. So these are, these are probably quite short-term issues. Strikes, right, civil commotion cover was not something that um, many clients or boards came to the insurance market to purchase. Often it was, a, it was an add-on to the property policy or an extension of the political violence and terrorism policies. So now that it's at the forefront of their minds, I think they obviously need to understand the cover that they buy and the limitations of it. They could do this in a few ways, I suppose. Um, retrospectively, they might have an, an idea now if they have had issues in the last 12 to 18 months or even longer, they may be able to test scenarios of that experience and put it to the wording and the contract that they have currently. Now, this can be done either through specialists um, outside of the broking world and underwriting world, but it could also include their underwriters, their lead underwriters. And I would strongly encourage uh, insureds that, that are either in line of, of, of you know, potential issues or that are slightly away from it, from them to, to, to have these t style scenario testing um, either through, um, through external um, parties or internally and that they have a real think whether they have the policy that meets their needs. The growing awareness of business continuity planning at the C-suite level to address political disruptions is said to be growing. So, Surgeon, what is driving the fact that political violence disruption has finally made it to the boardroom, and how can insurance help boards combat it? I think it comes down to losses, events that have happened. It's, it's, it's a typical way that an insurance market works. An event happens, and then there is a surge of demand for a particular type of coverage. So I think they, there are some companies that invest a lot in risk management and scenario testing. And uh, you talked a little bit about the direct path and some you know, that might not be directly affected. So if you, if you think about any company, there will have some element of supply chain, whether it's a very long one or a very short one, whether it's localized or international. You ultimately cannot deal, carry on your business if you don't have supplies of food or nuts and bolts, depending on what, what type of industry you're in. So therefore, they uh, say that the C-suite, um, the risk managers need to ensure that they have a robust supply chain and that they test it and that they um, come up with plan A and plan B if certain things happen. And that could only be done through scenario testing and also, uh, also potentially auditing their suppliers and how they deal with certain issues. Monitoring pay disputes in particular companies or um, monitoring the locality of their suppliers. Now this could be all done in-house or it could be bought externally. There are dozens of companies that can do this for any client. So this is something that, that the board should, should really consider. You can find the full version of the Global Risk Dialogue magazine with the link in the description of this podcast or at our website, www.agcs.allianz.com. 
Don't forget, you can get all of the latest AGCS content by following us on Twitter at AGCS underscore insurance and on LinkedIn at Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for a future podcast, don't let the conversation end now. Shoot us an email to agcs.communication at agcs.allianz.com. Of course, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. The more people who rate and review, the easier it is for others to find the show. Again, a big thanks to Surgeon Todorovic for joining the show and for helping us better understand the civil unrest topic. On behalf of Surgeon and all of us here at AGCS, I'm Ken Reichman, and we will see you next time.